We are going to finish the book of Joshua today. So those of you who haven't, uh, obviously if you're a visitor, you haven't been aware of what we've been studying together. And it's a fabulous book. It's full of action. It's a thrilling book. And Joshua is a bit of a dude. He's a serious warrior man. And it's up to now chapters 23 and 24. So if you've got a Bible with you, please feel free to open that. It'll come up on screen. And... um, It's my delight to bring us to the conclusion of this astonishing series. We've been going at it for about nine or ten weeks now. We've learned so much as a church about uh, understanding command and obedience. Understanding that when God says, come on, it's time to make a move, we make our move. We trust him. We love him. He takes us on into the unknown. He takes us into our promised land. So really, without... Um, further ado, let me get straight into this because I'm going to read you quite a bit and uh, I want you to get the full flavour of this astonishing book. The title of this is called Finishing Well, as Sally's just said. And if you, and just, just echo what Sally's just said, if you're going to finish well in your life, you're going to have to live well today. You can't just suddenly get to walk well at the end of your life. And so this is a huge challenge to me and to you. So these words at the end of Joshua are tough. He, I told you he's a bit of a dude. Well, he's got some strong things to say to his people. And God has some wonderfully tough but tender words to say to us this morning. You know, just thinking about sorting your life out later. I'm, I'm the only one in my family uh, growing up as a, as a believer. Well, I, I became a believer in my late teens, but nobody kind of joined me from my family. And um, it was, um, I, I often in my rather naive and enthusiastic way would say, Dad, you've got to sort your life out now. Doing it later is too risky. You can't say, Jesus, forgive me on your deathbed. Uh, and, and I wanted to say more to him. I wanted to say, you know, don't carry bitterness to the grave if you have any. You know, don't, don't have any unfinished business. Uh, forgive those people that you need to forgive now. Maybe I'm talking to you right now. Write that letter. Pick up the phone to that person that you know you want to talk back to because it's been too long. You've wasted some time here and the grass has grown. You know, release people from a relationship which you know is a bit toxic. Come on, do something about it. So there's this sense of finishing well is incumbent upon all of us. You know, say what you need to say at the next available opportunity to that person you know you need to talk to. I'm I'm off piste already. There's so much to say. You know, come on, there's a right time to heal a fractured relationship. Come on, is it the right time for you? It's a, healing a relationship is just a, you've got to be careful. If there's a wound, take your time, choose the right moment. Don't put things off. To finish well is to live well now. That's really what I'm saying, okay? So that's a little bit of a warm-up. Let's have a look at Joshua 23, shall we? So you've got... Um, The tribes have been allotted their places in the land and now Joshua is getting old and he's got some things to say to them. And in my Bible it says Joshua's farewell to the leaders. So here we go, I'm going to read quite fast, I'm going to go through 23, 24, just get the flavour of the seriousness of what Joshua has. He has an urgency in his heart. He's going to say a line which is going to be one of the lines that you may say at the end of your life, which is this, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Isn't that an amazing line? I hope that when I'm at that point in my life, that I'll have the breath to be able to say that, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die very soon. And what I want to say is going to release people to go on into the future. I'm not going to hold back any unforgiveness or any bitterness in my heart. I'm just going to set people free, all the next generation, the people I've loved. 
They're going to know that I've loved them. I'm going to tell them I've loved them at the end of my life. And Joshua's saying some strong but tender things here. Okay, here we go. Joshua 23. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest on all their, all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges and officials. And he said to them, <laughs> I am very old. <laughs> you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and he will take, you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that's written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. And if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, said Joshua, I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he's threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. It's that important. So that was me talking. All right. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from this good land he has given you. Last chapter of Joshua coming up, chapter 24. Okay. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, he summoned the elders, leaders, judges and officials of Israel and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and I led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I signed the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea, but they cried to the Lord, for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, and then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. 
I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Peor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." And then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed all those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, all right then, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we're witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and all who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in a tract of land that Jacob brought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas, in the hill country of Ephraim. Wow. And thus ends the book of Joshua.
famous last words, parting shots. Have you made a will? What's in your will? It's an expression of what you want to have happen after your death. My final words, as I've said to you, I want to be full of deep significance, urgent and serious in nature. Can you imagine yourself saying your last words? Because somehow, by looking ahead to the end of your life, it will instruct where you're at right today. Joshua is now a national hero. The four books of the Bible prior to Joshua, not Genesis, but the ones after Genesis, up to Joshua, they have been dominated by a giant human figure, and it's no other than Moses. And it must have been impossible for the Israelites to imagine what life would have been like without Moses. Just, I suppose, as it's difficult for most of us, unless we're older than 95, and there are one or two people in this room who are, uh, to imagine Queen Elizabeth not with us. It's like that. It's like I've grown up with you. And um, Moses, my servant, is dead, was at the very start of the book of Joshua. And Joshua knows it's like a starting pistol to a race for him. And we have journeyed with him through these weeks. And Joshua has always known that one day he's going to run ahead, that he has been trained for this moment. And a bit of a strap line has been for us as a church, trained and prepared for decades and now ready for action. And we feel it in our bones at the moment in church life that we have gathered back again after COVID. And we realise that this hall is not going to be big enough for us one day, not very far off from now. Where is God taking us as a people group, as his tribe, his holy tribe? Where's he taking us? We're called up. It's time for us to step up and be ready for action. That's why we've been studying the book of Joshua. The gun has already gone off in your life. You didn't choose the day of your birth. And here you are today here saying, Lord, where are you taking me? Every day is precious in my life. I want to feel it afresh, Lord. Each 24 hours is where I'm going to find you. I'm not going to find you tomorrow. So I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. That's why Jesus said, don't you worry about tomorrow. I'll sort the troubles that you'll have tomorrow out when I'm with you in tomorrow. You're in today. And now you're in the race, whether you like it or not. You're running. You're running. So we've got a similar call in our generation. That's why we call it the Joshua generation. We've been trained and prepared. And that's why we've come to that pivotal moment. And so from chapter one, entering the promised land, this is a promise that's come through centuries. Back in Genesis 17, this was promised. It says, God says to Abraham, I will give you and all your offspring, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And so here, Joshua is coming to this everlasting possession. Now, here's an interesting thing. We know that Joshua is an old man, and many years have passed since he entered the Promised Land. Probably about 20, 30 years he's been in Canaan now fighting since Israel first set foot in the land and set up the memorial stones at Gilgal. And the future actually is going to present even greater threats to them than they've hitherto experienced. They don't know that yet, but there are even bigger battles ahead. And Joshua has got to pass the baton on now to reliable, God-fearing people. And do you know what? I mean, the more you think about baton passing, it's ever such an important idea. Have anyone done relay races in their lives? When you, maybe when you, were, when you were young and fit and you were still running. Remember the four by four relay, the four by 100 relay, the four by 400 relay. The, the most worrying relay race is the four by 100 relay. And your coach teaches you, stay in lane. Don't try not to look back 
when the runner is coming, say you're the last leg, leg three is coming towards you, running fast, and you've put your hand back and you think, oh, please put the baton into my hand, don't let me drop it. And you don't look back because you've already started to run within your lane and you mustn't get past your lane, you will be disqualified. There's this sense in which don't look back, put your hand out. And God's saying that to us, you're in a relay race. This church is going to be celebrating 40 years in 2028, is that right? Somebody get me right. That's a generation. You're in that generation and you're, you're still holding a baton. And Joshua looks back in thanksgiving, but as this speech developed, and as I read it very fast to you, each successive section delivers increasingly strong warnings about the dangers that will predominate in the coming days. So let me just remind you again, if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations, if you intermarry with them, you know, this, you are the people of God. There is, the Lord Jesus himself is going to come from this people group. This, is, this needs protecting for the, for the future far into the future, which they cannot understand yet, but they just know we must keep before our God in purity and faithfulness. So that's why he says, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, you think, you didn't even need to say that, Joshua. We still need all these amazing victories. Why do you need to say that? Because we need to hear that all the time. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to (laughs) call? Not Ghostbusters, right? (laughs) The nation... And it's interesting, yes, I mean, for some of these nations, they were calling up crazy ghosts. You know, even at this point, there were still foreign gods among them. Even though they'd lived through the Akan serious, sinful moment and taken things which weren't theirs, even in the tents of the Israelites, there were still kind of artifacts where they were kind of hedging their bets, maybe. There's still doubt where there's faith. You know, he says, you've continued to worship other gods as well as Yahweh, Plus native Canaanites who've joined into Israel. You know, there are people in your ranks who, you know, are are possibly going to lead you astray. So Joshua is a hardened realist. You feel the dude again? You know, he is a battle-hardened warrior and he is realistic about his people. And so he's not playing games with them. And that's why he will say, you know, you're not able to serve the Lord. That's, That's a bit offensive. That's an offensive thing you say to me, Joshua. I've just said I'm going to serve the Lord, and you said you're not able. But Joshua knows that reciprocal, undivided love from us to God, it's our only appropriate response, whether we manage it or not. And that's our response today. And we're going to break bread and we're going to renew covenant just like Joshua did with his people. Because we're on the edge of exciting months and years ahead. The gods, he says, that your forefathers served beyond the river, those Amorite gods in whose land you're living, watch out. You need to become pure in your devotion. This is going to mean daily discipleship, obeying his voice. He's given each man his own land. Each man's got his own inheritance. Now they must continue to trust and obey. And it takes place at Shechem. I'm I'm homing on you now. Where's your Shechem? Shechem kept coming up, didn't it, in those chapters. Shechem, the very name reverberates with significance in the Old Testament story. It was at Shechem, at the Oak of Moreh, where God appears to Abraham. And he promises this land. 
And so if you like it, that Shechem, the wheel has turned full circle. We're on holy ground here. The great nation that God promised Abraham now gathers to meet him at the very place in the land where he first promised that that land would be theirs. Where's your Shechem? Go back to your Shechem this morning. Where's the place where God promised things to you? Go and find him there again this morning and say, Lord God, I remember the day you called me. Lord God, I remember that day when you met me and I encountered you and I was never the same again. Go back to Shechem, dear friends, and make your promises again because he wants a pure, devoted people. What can he not do with a people devoted to him? Where's your Shechem? Where's that tree? Where's that trysting place where you met with him in the past? Go back and remember those promises. You used to risk, some of you. Some of you are still risking. You used to take God at his word. You believed his promises. What's happened? I'm speaking to some of you, not all of you. What's happened to your courage? Why aren't you still doing things you've never done before? The land has been distributed to the tribes though much remains to be possessed. Can we put a slide up, go in mission and service? You know, we've got a beautiful vision for the church, gather in friendship and family, grow in character and gifting, go in mission and service. This is where we are today. And it might be just to your neighbour, it might be just across the borough, it might be somewhere beyond this, this town, but there is much that remains to be possessed. There's so much more for us to do as a church. The best days are yet to come. And not one of the good things that God promised the Israelites failed and not one of the good promises he's promised this church will ever fail. It's come from him. So they commit themselves in a covenant renewal ceremony and they take a, Joshua takes a very large stone. So I want you to think about maybe your garden this morning or your flat, or your balcony, or wherever is appropriate, or a place in the South Downs that nobody else knows but you. And I want you to take something. I want you to build your own cairn. Have you ever been up on Helvellyn, or Blencathra, or Skiddle? I love the Lake District. And you've got to the top of a mountain, and there's this urge, this impulse to build a cairn, a pyramid of stones, okay? You see it on the top of all these mountains, these Munros and elsewhere. Let's build a cairn together today. Let's put some stones on stones. You are those living stones. We're going to build stone on stone together. We're going to commit in covenant renewal. Now, Joshua does this because he knows his time is short. The story for him is complete, but the story is not complete for us. Joshua's work is done, but our work is not done. The narrative draws to a conclusion and the son of Nun is given an ultimate title. He started off as the servant of Moses and at the very end of this book, he's called the servant of the Lord. And I want you to be called that and I want to be called that. Oh, it'll break my heart when I hear it. If I hear it, please, Clive, welcome home, sunshine, servant of the Lord. You want that, don't you? Of course you do. You want that accolade and that's a reward you're meant to us long for. You're not to be shy and, oh no, I couldn't possibly ask for that. You want to be known as the servant of the Lord, don't you? I do. So at 110 years old, Joshua dies 
and he's buried in his own personal part of the land at Timnath Serah. And he has influenced a whole generation for God. And it's been all about obedience. He got some crazy commands in his lifetime. You know, uh, walk around Jericho seven times, <laughs> send the choir out first and the walls will fall down. But that necessity of obedience is the, is the other side of the big picture. How are you doing? How's that human required response from God working out in your life? Learning to trust. All the idols have got to go. Let's look back into our lives again. This is tough love from Joshua. God is looking for practical daily obedience. What are you fighting him about at the moment again? The idol's got to go. The way you do things has got to go. Lord, here I am. Here I am. I've got a race marked out for me. I used to do quite a lot of uh, running in my, my youth. Not so much now. And um, there, I remember I used to run for my uni and we used to run in a thing called the, the BUSEF, the British University Sports Federation Championships. And, they, and the trouble with BUSEF is they always made you run very long races. So this was a cross-country race in the winter and it was always incredibly muddy, filthy weather. And we were a team of eight. And I don't know if you know how cross-country races are, are um, tallied up, but actually if you're the first one home, you get one point. If you're the fifth person home, you get five points. And so you add up the points for all eight people who are in your team, and the lowest number of points is the, the winner of the race, the team, the team race. There's an individual winner, but there's a team first prize for the lowest number of points. And I remember, I think I was in somewhere like, I don't know, somewhere up on Ilkley Moor, Bartat. I can't remember exactly where I was, but I was in a whole load of mud. And I remember the gun went off and there's probably about 300 of us runners and they're all fit guys and we're running fast. And then suddenly into the mud, I fall flat on my face and I'm literally covered head to toe. You know, my eyes are blinking and just see the, white, the whites of my eyes and my, <laughs> my teeth. And then about, I carried on running and my, some of my team members said, just keep going, Clive, keep going. And then, worst case, I lost my left shoe in the mud. You know that sort of sound where you go like that? And, you, and then, what am I going to do? And I go, I, I look back and it was a quagmire behind me. And I realised I had one shoe on, one shoe off, and a white sock, okay, which is very quickly not white. And, I, and I'd only, I was two miles into the race. I've got seven miles to go in filthy conditions. And you keep going because you're in the team. You keep going because you know that you're carrying a burden, that you want this thing to finish well. And if you quit, I'm deeply affected. So there's a bond between us which is so strong that we're that team, that every single person counts. And so I realise that my, I'm coming into land now, that final lessons from Joshua are this, that how will I finish well? I, I finished the race, by the way, but I looked, I looked like a disaster. <laughs> I, I don't think they recognise me, but I finished the race, but I, I got a very lowly place in the race. But my team members said, well done, come on, you finished the race. Quitting, here's my first point coming into land. Quitting is not an option. And some of you have been feeling like quitting this last few weeks, just quitting with life, Go playing the easy card, not letting people know how you're feeling, not, not being um, open and honest about yourself with other people, not, not engaging in friendship, not, not keeping on going in, in saying, Lord, I, I love this church, come on, I'm going to keep going. Well, Joshua had a sense of where he was going. Let, the lesson that I learned from Joshua as the book closes is this, 
that perseverance is a daily attitude, that quitting is not an option, that people like Joshua foresee things. They see ahead. They know where they're going. God wants to show you where you're going. He may not show you the full picture, but he wants to show you the next step. And so if you're confused this morning, we're going to ask God for wisdom that you will know the next step. Joshua always got his next steps. He always got his next battle plans. He didn't see the end from the beginning, but he, but he knew that he was going to live generously and confidently because God has given him his next steps. So he's not going to quit. So his spiritual life, if you like, was in order because he's living from the inner world of the heart. How are you living? You've got to live from the inner world of your heart and follow him devotedly. The second thing I've learned from Joshua is that he's running free from the burdens and the weight of the past. What do I mean? Well, he understands now that we're no longer a slave nation. We've had deliverance. The exodus has come. We are no longer uh, held captive by Pharaoh. We're free. We are a new nation. We're free people. I've become my own man. I'm not even in Moses' shadow now. And so I ask you the question this morning from these lessons from Joshua, are you in someone else's shadow? Because God doesn't want you in someone else's shadow. He wants you to learn from people a little bit further ahead of you in the race, but that's not the same as being in someone's shadow. Are you hampered by the past and people's assessment of you? Joshua came right through to know I can lead this nation group just like Moses did. I'm free from a burden that means I'm not up to the job. And some of you men here, you want to hear these words from God. You've got what it takes. Come on. You've got what it takes. Some of you men need to hear that. You've got what it takes. And therefore you will be prepared for the emergencies of life. They'll come at you. But you've got what it takes in your God. You will understand what needs to be accomplished intuitively as we build this great church. You will look after yourself physically. Come on, look after yourself. Don't, don't burn the candle at both ends. Look after your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you're going to live in till you leave the earth. Read, read your word. Read your Bible. Be challenged intellectually. Don't become lazy. Don't go to seed. This is what Joshua's been saying to the tribes. You've got hill country to take. You've got Amorites to fight. And it's a very funny thing that happened to me when I was, um, I was in another church not too far from here. Some of my friends in, in leadership here at the church know what I'm about to say. But I was in a church that was like our church. And uh, one of the leaders stood up uh, to give notices. And he said, put your hands up if you're 49, okay? Now, <laughs> I'm going to ask people in the room, put your hands up if you're in your 40s. Can I dare ask that question? Just put your hands up. Let's just look around the room. Put your hands, okay, you're in your 40s, right. Well, okay, you can put your hands down. So they, so they said, the leader said, right, if you're 49, we've got something really exciting to tell you. We are having a new group in the church and it's called Revamp right and it starts at 50 and I <laughs> I coughed as much as 50 revamp you've got to be kidding I don't even, I've just about worked out who I am by the age of 50 
There's no way I'm going into revamp, right? She's like, cipher me, just sideline me. No, Clive, just calm down. Your bus pass is coming in a few years' time. It's all right. You know, just take it easy. Here's a chair. She's down. No, no one here is in revamp, okay? When you're 99, we're not going to have a thing for 100-year-olds called revamp, all right? Because we're all on the warrior, warrior front foot. People like Joshua have a band of brothers. Now, I've got just a couple more points. I'm going to finish and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to break bread, okay? I love that bit in Joshua 14, verse 6, when Caleb is saying to Joshua, because this could have been called the book of Caleb. It really could have been. He was another dude. Caleb says to Joshua, do you remember when the Lord said to you and me, this is Caleb speaking to Joshua. So Joshua isn't the main person. He's not the main protagonist at this point in Joshua 14. Caleb's calling the shots. But Joshua and Caleb heard the word of God together. Do you remember when the Lord said to you and me, now look around the room, who are your you and me's? Who were you with fighting for this church? Who were you out on mission? Who were you with when the Lord spoke to you as a, a little group of people? Wasn't that exciting? When you, it's what uh, Bill Hybels said at the, book of, at the beginning of his book, Volunteer. He said, everything I've ever done of any value has always been done in team. Isn't that great? Who's your you and me? Caleb had Joshua. Joshua had Caleb. They understood how friendship worked together. It wasn't competitive. It wasn't petty jealousies. It was a beautiful friendship and they took the land through that friendship Here's a bit of Shakespeare. Why do I quote Shakespeare and I go out here? Because <laughs> here's a bit of Shakespeare. Henry V, Act 4, Scene 3. They're about to start a battle, the Battle of Agincourt. And Henry says to his grossly out, vastly outnumbered troops, he says this. This story shall the good man teach his son from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Do you know I've got echoes of the Lord Jesus? He today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And they love not their lives unto death. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Can we put up the slide, gathering friendship and family? Go to life group. Have a you and me. Who's your Joshua? Name your Caleb. Name your Moses this morning. You won't make it on your own. And long after all the exciting adventures and all the achievements of the early years have faded and you're in your bath chair, those happy few may well be your most important treasure that you will ever possess this side of heaven. Do I hear an amen? We are a band of brothers and sisters and we will not take the land unless we do it like Joshua did. You're part of a holy nation. The Christendom across the world with your brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are crying out to God this morning. You're part of a tribe. It's called King's Church. Eastbourne. You're part of a clan here. It's your life group. Be in it. 
You're part of a household that Joshua said, as far as me and my family are concerned, my kin, we're serving the Lord. Fathers, go back home and tell your households. Mothers, if you're on your own, go back and tell your household profound things where you are saying, listen to me, children. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And it's not possible without a personal community around you. You cannot meet, and let me talk to marrieds. It is not possible, I believe, that all our needs, all our needs are met within the confines of a marriage alone. You need more than your husband and your wife. Your husband and your wife are, your wife are, are a beautiful gift of God to you. But actually, those of you who are married, you need to continue to cultivate friendships. Because it, we can turn in on ourselves. It's a self, it becomes a selfish relationship. And you've got so much to give. And the church needs you. And so friendship, and I think it, coming from the north of England down to the south a few years ago, I, I, I don't know if this is a sweeping generalisation, but I'm going to say it and you can shoot me down in flames. But, <laughs> but actually, guys in the south, come on. Come on. Come on. Whereas back in Newcastle, we were all mates together like, you know, we were the Toon Army. No, no, sorry. <laughs> this is the Toon Army, like, you know. No, seriously, I'm off-piste completely now. Right. But actually, there's been a dramatic increase in the pace of life. And most relationships are short-lived. Joshua and Caleb's relationship wasn't. He said, I'm 85. I'm still going strong. Joshua, you and me, we're going to, you know, we're going to reminisce one day and it's going to be sweet. There must be a happy few who will walk with you to the end of your life. So cultivate those deep friendships and you will finish well. Let me show you a picture of someone who finished really well. Can we have the picture up? Okay, uh, there he is, died aged 92, George Muller, an astonishing guy, born in Prussia in uh, 1805, quick, get me notes, where are you George, I've got my notes about you, here we are, and um, George Muller was a profoundly affected uh, children, orphaned children, and he was responsible for, let me just got, got this now, he was responsible for, for, for building a home for 10,000 orphans. He established 117 Christian schools. Those schools educated over 120,000 children and it raised them above their sense of being a poor station, a poor station in life, to exceed all their expectations. His first wife dies in 1870 when he's 65 and then in 1875, at the age of 71, he's remarried and then he stops working in orphanages. And this book, by the way, George Muller, Delighted in God, is a fantastic biography of him. He was a man of amazing prayer. So I'm sure many of you know about him. Anyway, what I want to point out to you about what George Muller did next when he gave up working in orphanages, saw miraculous provision of money, and 120,000 children bless his, his name and, and generations succeeding. This man was a true pioneer, but he didn't stop at the age of 71. So 
This is in Wikipedia, so you can check it for yourselves. In 1875, he's 72, so he does a quick tour of the UK. He's now preaching the gospel and blessing and teaching people to live as prayerful people. In 1877, he goes to Switzerland, Germany, and the Netherlands. He's 73 by this point. In May 19, in 1881 of May, he goes to Canada and the United States. He's 76 by this point, takes his second wife with him. Okay? Um, in 1882, he's 78. Now he goes to Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Asia Minor, Turkey and Greece. This is the 19th century. No mobile phones. All right. This dude is travelling the world. He's burning up for God. Okay. He is, he is in a, an amazing place of fruitfulness. And then I could read on. So 18... Uh, 1887, he is now 81 years old. He goes to the US, Australia, China, Japan, the Straits of Malacca, Singapore, Penang, Colombo and France. He probably stopped in France for a little bit of wine to refresh himself on his way home. Okay, please edit that from this talk. Okay, right. And then, <laughs> incredibly, in 1890, he's 84 years old. He drags his poor wife out for this next tour of duty to Australia, Tasmania, New Zealand, Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, and India. Man, finishing well. Look at him. And then finally, he comes in. <laughs> perhaps I better slow down. In 1892, he's 86, and he goes to Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and Italy. You get my point. And here's us fed up at times with, you know, with church life thinking, oh Lord, you know, this is tough, you know. There's a very, oh, this is my last thing I'm going to say and then we're going to break bread. Like a modern day apostle Paul, you could boast of your trials. Five times from the congregation I received requests for my resignation. Three times I was beaten in golf. Once I was stoned, it was the 70s. <laughs> Three times my proposal was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the deep in the church basement. We were remodelling my office. I have been constantly on the move, not always by choice. I have been in danger from elders, danger from deacons, danger from our own choir, danger in the pulpit, danger in the pew, grave danger at the baptismal font. I have laboured and toiled, often without sleep, especially when Mr Burns was scheduled to sing. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food, usually at our potluck dinners. <laughs> well, let me pray. Lord, we want to finish well. We don't want to become grumpy old men and grump sour old ladies. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit, upon us and teach us from your word. And tell us what we need to hear this morning. Oh, Father, as we break bread and renew covenant with you, we pray that we would become uh, the Joshua generation fighting men and women who are signing up again. Sign me up for another year. We happy few, we band of brothers. And Lord, we now remember, let's get our bread and our wine ready. We have the ultimate covenant maker. We might put a stone in the back garden. We might build a cairn, but 
the covenant that Jesus made with us cost us his life. And we are forever grateful to you, Lord Jesus. We love it that you're captain of the Lord, Lord's armies. We love it, Lord. And so we remember your broken body again. Oh, Lord, you did it for us. You did it for me. And in this most holy moment in our meeting, I renew covenant with you, Lord. I'll, I'll say it my way, you say it your way. Lord, you've got the whole of my life. I want to follow you every day of my life. I don't want to become a heart of stone. I want to forgive people who've hurt me. I want to love people who need my love. I want to put my shoulder to the plough. I want to build this church with my brothers and sisters. I want your fame to go to every corner of this borough. I want your healing power to touch lives. If there's anyone here this morning who wants to become a Christian, I believe this is a moment for you. So let's not beat around the bush. You've been coming here maybe for a while to King's or maybe you've come back to King's and you feel you've lost your faith. You've lost it a bit during the COVID days. When you take bread and you drink wine, say, Lord, I'm yours again. Or Lord, I want to meet you at Shechem. I want, I want my own Shechem. I want my own place where I encounter the living God. You say that. And come and tell us if you've done it. We'd love to pray with you. You've got to finish well. You don't know when you're going to finish. Don't play around with your life. You just don't know what lies ahead. But you will be prepared for all emergencies with the living God by your side. And he will bring you through every one of your battles and bring you safely home to his side. And he'll say to you, well done, servant of mine. Let's eat and drink with glad hearts this morning, shall we? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. Let's eat together. Let's drink of the cup. It's a cup of such suffering, such suffering. We have no idea the shame and the humiliation of being crucified. Even the Roman citizens couldn't even look at it. And yet you did that for me, Lord. Let's drink with glad hearts. All your sins are washed away. Sin has been dealt with. You are now free to follow him for the rest of your lives without looking over your shoulder ever again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Cheers.